Buddy, dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for your blessings and the work you do in our lives. We thank you for the fact that we can assemble together as a church. We thank you for your protection over us. And Lord, we're thankful for Thanksgiving Day that even the world, they, they, they don't know who to be thankful for, uh, thankful to, and most often they don't know what to be thankful for, but at least we stop and are thankful. And we can be thankful to the true God of heaven for his true blessings on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. On our first Sunday of December. And we're going to spend the next several Sundays on the joy of Christmas. Amen. Uh, we just want to get these things in. I mean, this is material we cover one way or another two or three times every Christmas season. I hope you do not mind uh, the repetition. But I do want us to see is oftentimes we get... Uh, Weary and tiring, I'll tell you, the uh, holidays are a busy, busy time. And lots of things going on and lots of memories and lots of uh, good memories and sometimes bad memories. But what we want to do is we want to remember that the original Christmas story, the original story that is in the Bible, every step of it is steeped in joy. As we begin the narrative in the book of Luke, Luke is the one historically that goes uh, to the very beginning of the New Testament there. And you have to remember that it's been 400 years since there was an active prophet in the land of Israel. The last was Malachi. Now, Malachi did not have what we would call an encouraging, heartwarming message. I mean, Malachi is a pretty strong book. And let's just turn there, uh, keep your uh, page marker there in Luke chapter 1, if you would. But uh, let's go to the book of Malachi. And, and it does end up on uh, a, a, a promise, a prophecy And verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Encouraging, isn't it? Uh, God says, listen, I'm sending my messenger before that great and terrible day of the Lord. And the when we see the day of the Lord in the Scriptures mentioned prophetically like this, it is speaking about that time period that begins with the rapture of the church and goes to the end of the millennial kingdom. It's roughly a thousand and seven years time period there, uh, if we understand the Scriptures correctly. And... Uh, that is going to be a great and terrible time, especially those seven years of tribulation. Uh, this is not positive uh, at all, but before the tribulation comes, Elijah the prophet is coming. And you'll notice here that it seems like there is absolutely no break in the schedule. Uh, the only problem is Elijah which was John the Baptist, 
came almost 2,000 years ago. And his ministry concluded about six months into the public ministry of Jesus Christ. So that would, if we just take rough dates, about 2030 will be 2,000 year anniversary of John the Baptist ministry. So you got 11 years to go. Uh, uh, I've said this before that I've heard all my life, nearly 2,000 years. And Lord willing, I'll be here to see that 2,000 years. I, I, I would like to be able to just say, now we're finally there. I mean, we've been waiting for it for 2,000 years. It's uh, kind of neat to be alive at that time. And, and we have uh, this great vast period between the coming of Elijah and the great and terrible day of the Lord. But they're all put in one prophecy. This is what we've covered before. So this is what we talk about when we talk about a mountaintop view. You see, Malachi, as he is giving us there, he's looking at the coming of Elijah. And then he sees the next mountaintop. The great and dreadful day, terrible day of the Lord... The only problem is he doesn't see that those two events are separated by nearly 2,000 years at this point and counting. But then in verse 6, he goes back and describes the work that John the Baptist or Elijah is going to do. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, this is the fulfillment. We'll go to back to Luke chapter 1. And I believe it's verse 17 here. Uh, it says, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so Gabriel is quoting the book of Malachi we see that God's time clock had stopped and all of a sudden it's ticking again. But as we start here in uh, Luke chapter 1 and we start in verse 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias. Of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Now let me ask you a question. How do you get well stricken in years? Uh, you got to grow old. Uh, my grandfather always told me, he said, now, Pete, don't get old. And uh, he didn't pay attention to his own words. He was 92 when he passed from this life into the next. Uh, and uh, I remember telling my granddad, considering the alternative, Grandpa, I'm going to try uh, to grow old. Uh, because there's only one alternative to growing old. And there's only one way that you grow old. It's one day at a time. You can hurry up a lot of things. Uh, I know uh, Stephen's trying to hurry up his education. Andrew hurried his up. He got it done in five years instead of six. And 
Uh, Stephen's trying to do the same. The only problem is they're changing all the rules. So after this year, you're not going to be able to do six and five anymore. Uh, they, uh, they, they want you to take the time and pay the tuition, uh, to be there on campus and, and not hurry things up in the ministry. You can't rush things. Maturity comes to different men at different times in their life. They've, you've got to be willing to grow. Christian, you've got to be willing to grow as the Lord gives you that, that direction and that ability. One of the most harmful things that you can do to a young Christian is give them responsibility above their spiritual maturity. And in the real world, you do, the same thing is true. Uh, we have these whiz kids, you know, geniuses. You graduate Harvard at 16 years old. Yeah, have you ever met any of those people? Uh, awkward is a very mild definition of the way they behave when they're around other people. Now, isn't it? Uh, it's because they have been given more responsibility and learning and things than their physical maturity can handle. And so, I, the, re, the point I am making here is that Zacharias and Elizabeth came, grew up, began their ministry that God had given him as a, a descendant of Aaron, as a uh, not a direct descendant. He was of the 24th of the 24 courses of the priest. Uh, that did not demean him and make him any lesser than any other priest. But uh, at this point in time, uh, they tell us that offering the incense at the time of prayer was something that a priest would only get to do once or twice in his entire life. And Zechariah grew up in this period where there was no uh, open revelation. It had just continued. They uh, went on, but they walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. The Bible says they were blameless. Do you know how hard you got to work at that, being blameless? And this is not man's testimony. This is the Holy Spirit through, the Apostle, uh, through Luke, the author of this book, uh, giving us a testimony to the effort that Zechariah and Elizabeth had put in their life. And yet the whole thing about the priesthood, Zechariah could trace his generations all the way back to nearly 2,000 years before Christ, to Aaron, who was the son of uh, only two or three generations, two generations, I believe, removed from Levi, the son of Jacob. And from Jacob to get to Abraham, well, that's not hard at all. And the Bible gives that generation all the way back to Adam, if we want to look it out, uh, look it up in the Bible here, and Zechariah was part of that. That's something none of us in this room have. But it was all lost if he didn't have a son to carry on his name. His family would just simply disappear 
from the pages of history. And yet God had a plan. Zechariah's son did not carry on in the priesthood, did not fulfill his father's shoes. And in the Jewish book of history, Zechariah's family closed, but in the history of the Bible, uh, we Baptists like to talk about John the Baptist. In fact, I like to uh, tongue-in-cheek. It wasn't John the Presbyterian. and It wasn't John the Lutheran. It wasn't John the... Uh, it was John, somebody said, it was John the Baptizer. Now, my Bible says John the Baptist. And uh, John did baptize with water. God gave him a special ministry, and we're not here to uh, deal with that necessarily tonight. But what I, uh, the first point I want to make here was that Zechariah had lived his whole life really with this very negative Paul, this cloud over his future. I, I've married this daughter of, of Aaron. We have a, a great family. We're, we're right in keeping with the heredity that God has given us. But God hasn't given us any children. But they lived righteously and carefully before the Lord. But now I want you to read on down with me a little bit more here. And it says in verse 13, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's just read verse 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now, here Zechariah is. He is an old man. Uh, the, those that are supposed to know these things tell us that there, there's a biological clock and there comes a time when uh, childbearing is just uh, beyond the capability of normal uh, uh, circumstance. And both uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth had reached that plateau uh, I mean, there, there, there's just no physical hope of children. But you know, God is the one that takes care of that now, doesn't he? And Zacharias never gave up hope. Now, I've talked to many people over the years, and one of the biggest problems people have in serving Christ is they lose hope. Is God ever going to? Excuse me. We do not serve God at our time schedule. We serve God on His. You see, this is why Joseph didn't get discouraged and quit when he was put in prison. Amen? Zechariah and his wife just followed the law. They had no uh, understanding of anything that God was going to do, uh, anything special here. They had no idea how many seconds were left on God's clock. But every time Zechariah got into that temple, this may have been the second or third time in his entire life, he was bringing the prayers of Israel, his nation, before God, but he's bringing his own prayer too. God, I want a son. I want someone to carry on my name. 
I want that next generation as we can reach back in time 2,000 years and and there's always been a son. And Lord, uh, there's not one in this generation. Can we, we don't, we don't get how important that was in the mind and heart of Zechariah. But the fact that he never gave up hope and he never let it go and he was faithful in all of his service. And let's just read it here in verse 8. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now, verse 14, this is our key verse here. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and shall be, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And the prophecies of Malachi is brought in in verse 17, which we've already read. Now, stop and think about this. Here's Zechariah. We don't know how old he is. Well stricken in years. Easily. In his upper 70s, maybe his lower 80s. His wife Elizabeth, apparently about the same age. And they are past any hope normally. But Zacharias is not giving up hope on God. God, you've gotten me this far. I believe you're going to take us to that next generation. The priesthood is going to continue. This family that you've made me a part of, I have hope. And an angel appears and says... God's answered your prayer. Your wife is going to bear you a son, but you're going to call his name John because he's going to be somebody special. He is going to be the trigger that begins God's prophetic clock ticking again. He is going to turn the hearts of the children toward the fathers. How did that happen? As the children began looking at The Word of God. Amen? The prophecies of God. Started understanding that the God of Israel is not just stories that are 400 years old. These are stories that are happening on a daily basis now. And the heart of the children, I mean the fathers toward the children, is talking about that present generation bringing up the new generation in the things and the truths of the Word of God. And so we have this promise, and he is told that there's going to be great joy. And, of course, what happens with Zechariah? I just love this. He must have been a Baptist. Amen? Uh, He he says, uh, verse 18, Whereby shall I know this? 
For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. Now, here Zechariah is. God answers his prayer. And he's like, really? You waited till now? How, how in the world? I, I think I'm dreaming. Do we treat God like that? When God finally answers that prayer. Are we filled with joy? Or are we going, next? What am I going to pray about now? I mean, sometimes I think we need uh, a certain level of uh, anguish and upset to keep us working. Uh, That's not the way it's supposed to be. What is supposed to be our strength? The joy of the Lord. Zechariah had been serving his entire life and all of a sudden, hey, Zechariah, you're the guy. It's going to start. God's going to give you a son. And he's like, uh, you, you're kidding me, right? And God said, and Gabriel says, this, by the way, this is one of the few times where the angel actually gives his name. You remember with Samson, uh, Samson's father asked for the name of the angel and says, that's a secret. I'm not telling you. And different places in the Bible, Gabriel says, listen, I stand in the presence of God. I'm a messenger from heaven. I'm giving you these joyful tidings and you're acting like a sap. That's in the original language. And uh, he said, so you're going to have all this joy and you're not going to be able to say a word. Now, that would be terrible, would it not? And so for the next few days, he finishes his course. He goes home. And all of a sudden, Elizabeth isn't feeling so good in the morning. I'll bet she had a... Your your first is usually your worst. And uh, imagine not having your first child until you're in your late 70s. Uh, I think there'd be a backfire effect here. I'll bet she was really sick. But I don't think Elizabeth was upset about being sick. She was, I can't believe this is actually happening. She said she hid herself for five months. And she finally let everybody know. And there was great joy and gladness. And I, I love this little story here. We skip down to verse 39, as Mary getting the message from Gabriel about her giving birth to a child, which is going to be the Savior of all mankind. She goes to visit Elizabeth, which is her cousin. And she enters in verse 40 into the house, salutes Elizabeth, verse 41. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. From whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary goes on, and we'll talk about Mary's joy on another uh, week here. And Zechariah is standing there watching all these things, and he can't participate. Because he refused to allow the joy of the Lord. He refused to believe the Lord had finally answered his prayers. Sometimes we get this idea that it's our prayers that God answers. You know, that's not the way it works. Prayer is something God has given us to absorb all of the agita that we get because we're not trusting the Lord in the first place. Amen? Prayer is something that we can put our life force into instead of trying to manipulate others and circumstances to do what we want to do. Prayer is that way that we can seek that humility that we talked about this morning in the surrender of my will to the Father's will so that we can have the joy that God wants us to have. Could you imagine 400 years ago Do you realize 400 years ago, your King James Bible was eight years old? That's uh, the pilgrims hadn't landed at Plymouth Rock. All of the things that we know about were not, not even existent 400 years ago. And here was Zechariah going through the motions, doing exactly what he said, having a right heart toward God, serving God because he said so. And God finally opens that door and says, your son is going to be the one that goes before and announces the coming of the Messiah. And all Zechariah can do is go, Really? God gives him nine months. Now, when he's all done that nine months and that baby is born and they name the baby on the uh, eighth day here in verse 59, all the friends and family were there and they were having uh, joy and rejoicing that God had finally given a child to Zacharias and Elizabeth. I mean, they were probably those kind of people that was everybody else's kids' grandparents. Because they didn't have any of their own. And the people understood the importance of having a son. And here he was. And they wanted to call him Zacharias. And Elizabeth says, no, his name is going to be called John. And they're all looking kind of weird. And and, uh, finally, uh, verse 62, And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was open immediately. And his tongue loosed. And he spake. He got, he got on the bandwagon. It took him nine months. But he was there. 
He was in place now, and he praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt around among the, about them, and all these things were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judah. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, wait a minute. Who was Zechariah the house of? Aaron. But he's praising God because God has raised up the horn of salvation in the Messiah, in the house of David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us, that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him, all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet. Into the way of peace. I'll tell you what, Zacharias had joy now, didn't he? He was full of praising and blessing God and understanding all of the things that God was going to do and how that he was going to use this little baby that was eight days old. Now, God doesn't necessarily use an eight day old baby to do anything except, wah. And eat and soil its diapers because you know what the baby has to do? Grow up. Zechariah is never going to see his grown son. If he was in his 80s now, by the time John would be 30 years old, he'd be over 110. Not likely that Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to be around that long. But they knew they were part of God's prophecy. Now, let me ask you a question. We can't be a part of God's prophecy. We can't be a part of things like Zechariah was. But I'll tell you what we can do at this Christmas season. We can be a part of serving the Lord. Have you ever stopped and thought and just meditated on what a privilege it is to serve Jesus Christ in his body, which is the local church? We got a good dose of Zechariah's, if you want to put that on the end there. We're trying and striving. That's why we're here on Sunday nights, most of us, amen? It's nasty outside. Uh, 
we're here because we want to serve God. We want to do things right. But have we lost our joy because we're just so used to doing what we're doing that we don't understand that what we're doing is important in the eyes of God? It is such a privilege to be able to support missionaries like Brother Thomas. Now, isn't it? To think that we can have a little part in that ministry to, to, have, uh, to help him guide these churches and to see new churches planted. That's, that's an amazing thing to me. And uh, to serve the Lord... In January is the Home Missions Conference at Heartland. Uh, I'll tell you what, if our, if our church keeps giving like we are right now, we're going to have a good deal of money to take with us in January. And that's going to be great. Uh, just praising the Lord. But every one of us have struggles and things we're going to have to go through just to get through this week. You know, if we will learn to be faithful and to run that race that is set before us with joy, just like Jesus did his, we don't have to wait till Christmas to be happy about things. Amen? We, we need to look at uh, what the Lord has for us to do and understand that my small part in this service, ought to bring joy into my life. The, the song that we sing, there is joy in serving Jesus. Do we, do we really believe that? Or are we Zacharias? I'll tell you what's going to happen. When we get to heaven, we're going to rejoice over what God has done in our life. That's what casting the crowns at his feet. We're going to join that great big choir in heaven. But God wants us to start practicing now. Amen. And serve him and realize that even though our service seems little, it seems insignificant, it seems like it's really not that important I want you to understand, in God's eyes, it is. God could not have used Zechariah and Elizabeth if they hadn't been faithful all their lives. God wouldn't have answered Zechariah's prayers if he hadn't prayed them every year, all of his married life. He had never given up hope because he believed in a God that goes beyond any circumstance we can understand. And the joy that Zechariah finally had when he got on God's path, realizing that God was doing this work and that this little boy was going to be different than any other little boy that had been born. He was going to be the man that was going to announce the Messiah of God. Wow. John's ministry would only last six months. But it was an important one. And by the way, as we talked about in prophecy, Malachi said, Elias, 
Gabriel told Zechariah that John the Baptist was going to go in the spirit of Elias. And Jesus said, if you will receive it, this is Elijah that was sent, or Elias, which was sent for, before you. Uh, and so we see how God fulfills prophecy. We see the joy that is in Zechariah's life. And I hope and pray that you would take just a few moments. Every one of us got things that could make us sad. Every one of us have things that could discourage us. Every one of us have things in our life that are just weighing us down. You know what we need to do? We need to understand that God is doing the work. And if we'll just be obedient where we are, we can have that joy that God wants us to have. All God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We ask that you would give us the joy of this season. And that we could see and share in the joy of Elizabeth and Zechariah down through the years. No, their son did not carry on Zechariah's name. And his family was put out of the name of the priest. But John the Baptist, his story is just as fresh and told today as it was in the days when John lived it. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your love to us. And we ask that you would help us to remember the joy of serving Jesus your way, not ours. We'll take just a moment and let you pray, and then we'll get into our prayer time.